0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, July 19th episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast at Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Stitcher. With us today is A.C. Gerhardt, with whom I will be discussing their poem, Daily Rituals, and my poem, New Habits. Before we do that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of July 20th. On Monday, July 20th from 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nui TV will be hosting the 11th of its 20-episode the Nui and Wind Carriers Challenge, where anyone can participate, but only Indigenous youth between 8 and 25 are eligible for the prices, which includes a grand prize of a MacBook Pro. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 547 309 458 680 Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 644-547-309-458-680. From 8 p.m. At Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground open mic via Instagram live at Poets underscore Playground underscore. Again, that's at Poets underscore Playground underscore. On Tuesday, July 21st, from 8:30 p.m. to midnight Paris time, Spoken Word Paris will be hosting its Spoken World Online. This week's theme is Origins, and the feature of Poet will be Martin Ferguson from 3 to 5 PM Eastern time. Urban Word NYC will be hosting its weekly First Draft Open Mic for those between the ages of 13 to 23. This is a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. And you can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash First Draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash First Draft. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting its Speak Poet via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. On Wednesday, July 22nd from 8 to 10 p.m. Nigeria Time, Solaja Sogo Samuel will be hosting his open mic on Instagram Live at ishola underscore the underscore poet again that's at ishola underscore the underscore poet ishola is spelled i-s-h-o-l-a again that's i-s-h-o-l-a from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Nui Jinan TV will be hosting its Nui Jinan Scout Talent, which showcases indigenous youths between 13 and 25 years old. This will be via Instagram Live, and you can RSVP to participate at Nui Jinan TV. That's N-W-E-J-I-N-A-N-T-V. Again, that's at n-w-e-j-i-n-a-n-t-v from 8 p.m eastern time a poet named superman will be hosting his release therapy open mic on instagram live at a poet named superman again that's at a poet named superman on Thursday, July 23rd from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, The Tiny Cover will be hosting its Virtual Poetry Night via Zoom. And you can find out more information and register at thetinycover.com forward slash events. Again, that's thetinycover.com forward slash events. From 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Spit That D.C. will be hosting its weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Spit that D.C. That's S-P-I-T-D-A-T-D-C. Again, that's at S-P-I-T-D-A-T-D-C. From 7 to 8 p.m. Pacific Time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting its weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. Again, that's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. On Friday, July 24th from 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Marquise 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling at Instagram Live at 10,000 Poetry. Again, that's at 10,000 poetry. 10,000 is spelled out. On Saturday, July 25th, from 8 to 10 p.m. Nigeria time, Solaja Sogo Samuel will be hosting another open mic on Instagram Live. Again, at Ishola underscore the underscore poet. Again, that's at Ishola underscore the underscore poet. Ishola is spelled I-S-H-O-L-A. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Pacific Time, Arizona Masters of Poetry, we hosting is Speak Poets Saturday via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 6 p.m. New Mexico Time. The Thunderbird series will be hosting the Institute of American Indian Arts MFA Digital Res featuring Jake Skees and a few MFA alums. You can RSVP for that at Series at gmail.com Again, that's ThunderbirdReadingSeries at gmail.com From 6 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time New Women's Space will be hosting its open mic night online. You can find out more information and register at newwomenspace.com forward slash events. Again, that's at newwomenspace.com forward slash events. On Sunday, July 26th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, Pure Ink Poetry, hosted by our past poet guest, Brandon Williamson, will be hosting his video slam. You can find out more information and participate at pureinkpoetry.com. Again, that's at pureinkpoetry.com. At 8 p.m. Central Time, the Creative Collab will be hosting its first Lift Every Voice International Playwright and Spoken Word Festival. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash creativecollabtx. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash creative colab tx colab is spelled c-o-l-a-b and now let us turn to our poet guest of the week ac gerhardt hi ac thank you very much for coming on to poets and muses hi thank you so much for having me here it's wonderful so you brought with you the poem daily rituals Before we get
1: into that, can you Mm -hmm. please tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a poet and also a scientist. My major is actually in chemistry, so I got started writing seriously in undergraduate when I realized that this was something that I wanted to pursue, Mm -hmm. but it wound up being a little bit too late to just sort of like hop into the liberal arts curriculum where I was, so I spent a lot of time starting to sort of write in lab, write about my friends, write about what we were doing, uh, and around the same time, I got really into disability activism, mm. and so a lot of that sort of comes through in my work uh, mm-hmm. and in what I do. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, it does, and especially in this poem. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, they say, like, write what you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since I was in lab 60 hours a week, I've actually written a lot of poetry about chemistry as well. Yes. Uh, and I'm yes. trying to work on either, like, a chapbook or a full-length book that's just poems of what it's like to be in a lab alone with toxic chemicals at 3 a.m. Yes. just yes. It's a very singular human experience, I think.
0: It is really interesting. I remember reading that one of mm-hmm. those poems yeah. that about that. So
1: you didn't get a chance to do a minor in it? No, actually, um because I don't have any sense of real self-preservation. I actually did a double major in chemistry and neuroscience. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really fun, and I can't honestly recommend it to anyone. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sort of like I said, I I started publishing and sort of like really getting involved with the local poetic community Mm -hmm. because I had done like a couple of fun classes my freshman year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually got started in disability activism because of poetry. Uh, yeah it was one of those very like perfect serendipitous experiences Uh, I was one of the people who wrote in middle school Mm -hmm. but like it was very very middle school poetry Mm -hmm. um So, like, starting in high school, I started trying to read more, and then when I got to college, that was the first time I had a library, which was stocked with, like, a large nonfiction and literary section, right? Nice. Because as much as I loved my local library system, it was all very much genre fiction, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic, but, you know, a little bit hard to find new things. So I was just wandering aimlessly through the stacks, and the first thing that caught my eye was an anthology of disability poetry. Whoa. Yeah. And if I can plug, Beauty is a Verb, uh, is edited by Sheila Black and Michael Northern. It's absolutely wonderful, because it was also the first thing that introduced me to the history of the disability civil rights movement, Okay. because there was a whole full-blown people chaining themselves to buses, crawling up the stairs of the Senate kind of rights movement that we don't hear really talked about or covered in classes. No. So I started learning that history through poetry and then getting involved, doing research, starting to work for disability activism at my school, and that was sort of what spun off my beginning to like write really seriously and mm-hmm. seeing the kind of impact that writing can have. Mm-hmm. I started publishing because I was about to finish my undergraduate, mm-hmm. realized that none of my hobbies were related to chemistry or to science <laughs> and that, you know... This was my last chance to be in college, so I actually intended to uh, just sort of like try sending out a couple of pieces, collect my rejections, and then just sort of like pat myself on the head and be like, "All right, well, you can become a poet when you're 40." Um, <laughs> and uh, as you can see, that didn't quite go as planned, and here I am now, and it's been a it's been a really exciting sort of growth. So follow all of your dreams, kids. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: You should definitely definitely make time for them and mm-hmm. see where it goes you know mm-hmm. if you don't go down that row you never know mm-hmm. how long it's going to be and how yeah. wonderful it could be
1: absolutely and yeah. it's been really wonderful yeah yeah mm-hmm.
0: I mean, going back to this uh disability civil rights movement yeah. can you tell us a little bit about that because yeah like sure. you said most yeah. people haven't
1: heard about that absolutely so one of sort of the the facts that i like to open with is that the lawsuit which allowed the first quadriplegic into a university happened the same year as the lawsuit that allowed a black man for the first time into a university. Because Because do you happen to know? Oh, I don't have the year on me. I could look it up really quick if you would like Um, me to. Not right now because there's no connection.
0: I can tell you that for (laughs) sure because I've tried many, many times. But like Mm -hmm. later on, if you want to give me any links about that because I always welcome... Mm -hmm
1: you know, links so people can really look into those information. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for a lot of cases, there really wasn't places. And and a lot of, I should clarify, a lot of the early disability rights movement focuses on physical accessibility. Mm -hmm. That's the idea of, you, you hear represented in media a lot and talked about a lot of people with walkers, people with canes, people with wheelchairs, Mm -hmm. uh, and particularly mobility impairments, although Mm -hmm. at the same time there was a huge movement in the deaf and the blind communities, Mm -hmm. which are often, but not necessarily always, considered part of the disability rights movement. Mm -hmm. For instance, there are a lot of capital D deaf people Mm -hmm. who actually view themselves as speakers of a foreign language, Mm -hmm. with the idea that What is keeping them from interacting with society uh, fully is the same thing that keeps a French speaker from interacting with English society fully. It's mostly the communication issues. But yeah, in terms of mobility, there were just a lot of cases where you couldn't get around, uh, you couldn't get into buildings, and there were no laws requiring that buildings be allowed access, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so you got cases where uh, curb cuts are pretty ubiquitous now. Those are areas where the curb slopes downwards uh, into the street,
2: Uh,
1: and almost everyone has seen them in their neighborhood. They're really common now for people who've got strollers especially, Mm -hmm. Um, but those were actually a huge portion of the fight for the early disability rights activists because there were deaths from people having to roll in the streets because they could not get up on sidewalks. Uh, And so there were activists who, sort of the first part of guerrilla activism in the disability civil rights movement, Mm -hmm. were people coming with chisels and carving things out themselves. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there was just this huge push for things like access to spaces. Mm -hmm. Uh, You actually have a bit of a... um, voting rights issue there as well, mm-hmm. because if there was no requirement for polling places to be accessible, then a disabled person using a mobility device could not get in to vote. Right. So that movement was occurring primarily from the 70s through the 90s,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and sort of culminated with the passage of the ADA, not the ACA. The ACA is the other important thing for disabled people right now. (laughs) Uh, Yes, the Americans with Disability Act. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that was the first thing that laid out requirements for building codes Mm -hmm. uh, and access, that laid out requirements for things like safe exit out of buildings Mm -hmm. during fire hazards is a big one, um, because places used to have the elevators shut down, so you'd just kind of be stuck. Uh, Things like braille signage, um, Mm -hmm. and occasionally you'll notice like on sidewalks, those, uh, those raised sort of bumpy tiles, okay. uh, which are designed to help tell people where the edge of the curb cut is. Okay. Huh. And then there have also been lots of other fights. So the big thing with the ADA was the idea of reasonable workplace accommodations.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When you're talking about disability, and especially the early disability rights movements, one of the things that you hear about is called the social model of disability versus the medical model of disability. Mm -hmm. Uh, The medical model says that a disabled person is sick. There is something wrong with them, and the thing that is wrong with them is the part of them that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to change society. You need to fix the person. (laughs) The social model says that being in a wheelchair wouldn't be a disability if everything was four foot off the ground and flat. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? It is only because the world is built for people who were ambulatory, mm-hmm. that there is any issue with being in a wheelchair.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, in the same way that for many, many years, actually, having, say, a mild nearsightedness mm-hmm. would be devastating. You know, you couldn't drive, it would be difficult to work, you'd have mm-hmm. trouble reading signs. Mm-hmm. But glasses have become so pervasive through a large part of our culture uh, that most people don't consider that a disability
2: mm-hmm.
1: because of the social model. The treatments are accessible, and the world is designed for those cases. Right. And so things like a mild nearsightedness is often not considered a disability.
2: Right. Right.
1: And so as you start to move to that social model, you begin to ask questions like, what can we do to make sure as many people can fit in these spaces as possible? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also start to move that outside of just, can we get into buildings and into things like, will your workplace allow you to eat at your desk? Mm-hmm. If you're an able-bodied person, if they don't let you eat, then it's like, eh, you know, whatever, you'll be a little hungry. If you have diabetes, that could kill you. Mm-hmm. It becomes things like, if you're working in retail, uh, will your manager allow you to have a chair? Mm. For most people, it's bad if you have to stand all day. Mm -hmm. But if you have a degenerative joint condition, it's literally disabling Mm -hmm. to have to stand all day, despite the very reasonable accommodation of getting you a stool. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the fights now and sort of in the later disability civil rights movement have focused on how to make society more accessible for more groups of people. Mm -hmm. We're starting to look at accommodations. Now, I should say that all of these have always been part of the disability civil rights movement from its inception. Mm -hmm. uh, And that also there are still tons of problems in terms of physical access. Mm -hmm. There was recently a fight over a law that would have made it harder to bring lawsuits against buildings which were not accessible. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that a lawsuit is the only way to get a pre existing building to change its access under the eighty eight right now. If you petition is isn't that possible? There's, no, there's no petition process. Oh wow. Yeah. If you can call the building and see if they'll do anything, but most right. places are going to say, Really, you want us to put a couple, you know, right. thousand dollars in building a ramp for you. Right. So instead, like the only recourse you have is through the courts. Hmm. Um, wow. So there's definitely still a lot of fights to be had and a lot of things to do, but at least in my experience, and of course some of that is definitely influenced by the fact that most of my work was happening on a college campus and Mm -hmm. we were working especially on accommodations for disabled students, there's a much bigger push for inclusion. Of chronic illnesses, especially things like chronic pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, The opioid crisis is a huge issue for people experiencing chronic pain right now because Mm -hmm. it's making it so much more difficult to access medications that they need to survive. For things like mental illness, mental health, Mm -hmm. and then like I said, always for physical disabilities and things that are considered sort of under the sensory uh, umbrella. Mm -hmm. So, the typical ones you would think of, like um, blindness and capital or lowercase D, deafness. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: And of course, there are also things depending on how you view them and who you ask that are included, such as the neurodiversity movement, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot of interplay with that mental illness movement and right. is the idea that there are many ways to have a brain, just like right. there are many ways to have a body. Right. So. right. Yeah, I was going to say when you're talking about how the medical versus social way of
0: mm-hmm. looking at disabilities, how in many ways when we're looking at fighting for rights for marginalized communities, mm-hmm. in many communities, the idea is always the majority is the norm. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Right. So basically, we need to, in some ways, change the way we look at things as a Mm -hmm. whole.
1: Absolutely. And it's especially salient for disability because disability is one of the only groups that you can become a part of at any point in life. You know, anyone can get in a car accident. Mm. That can happen to anyone. It's one of the few groups that you can become a part of later in life without choosing to. Mm. And it's one of the groups that can occur later in life and your odds are more likely as you get older. So as you already get a marginalized aging population, part of that marginalization comes from the fact that the percentage of people with disabilities skyrockets after age 50 or age 60.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah.
1: A lot of things catch up to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and American society, especially and in particularly, is not designed with that in mind, frankly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's amazing that you know
0: these things are not thought about by able-bodied people. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm short, so it's not obviously a disability, but it's a disadvantage in some ways.
1: Absolutely, and there are cases, actually, that's one of the things that I bring up when I'm first trying to explain the idea of sort of like structural inequality to Mm -hmm. people, is that I'm short, and I worked in a chemistry laboratory, Mm -hmm. Uh, and because things can sometimes explode, Mm -hmm. and that's bad, uh, and also can vent toxic fumes, Mm -hmm. and might I say, that's sometimes worse Mm -hmm. We work in these things called fume hoods, which are basically these cabinets that got a sliding uh, glass door or a glass window on the front that goes up and down, so you can have your hands in the cabinet and the blast shield between your face and the chemicals, and there's a ventilation system so you're not having to huff the fumes. But the problem is that in our introductory teaching laboratory, we have these um, clasps so that you can hold your flask and not knock things over in the back Mm -hmm. of the hood. They're very useful. Uh, And in the introductory chemistry hoods, they are two and a half feet in. So for me, a five foot two person to reach that, I have to throw my whole body inside the fume hood. And it turns out that you don't want to throw your whole body inside the place that is designed to catch the explosives. That's not really ideal. Um, And I would be lying if I didn't say that I knew students who chose not to pursue chemistry, because sometimes they didn't feel safe in the introductory labs. Wow. And all of the students I know for whom that was the case were shorter women, mm-hmm. uh, to the point that I am forever thankful for my advisor, because when she first moved into her own personal laboratory, mm-hmm. she had those clasps moved forward a afoot,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so that everyone in that laboratory was able to reach everything,
0: because right,
1: right. she was also a shorter woman. Yeah. But until you point that out and put in the work order and say, you know, this is actually very dangerous for a good subset of people,
2: yeah.
1: people just don't think about that kind of thing. No, yeah, mm-hmm. a, a lot of it is that people don't think about it. Mm-hmm.
0: For businesses, it goes an extra step, as you said, the suing mm-hmm. thing. I was wondering about the suing thing in terms of building ramps. Is that an Arizona thing or is that a national
1: No, from what I understand, individual states might have their own ways for handling accessibility claims. Mm -hmm. I'm not currently able to speak to that. And I know that there are also different requirements for federal buildings because Mm -hmm. that is handled under Section 504, Mm -hmm. uh, as it's known, of the Rehabilitation Act for federal buildings. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So Arizona, I've actually found, has been pretty good about accessibility Mm -hmm. because most of the ADA requirements are baked into the new building codes, Okay. which is why you now see places with ramps, places with wheelchair accessible bathrooms. Mm -hmm. There are still issues because a lot of those aren't tested. There's a really known problem with accessible bathroom stalls Mm -hmm. that most of them aren't actually wide enough to turn a wheelchair around in. Because the building codes are big enough to fit the wheelchair, but you have to be able to turn the wheelchair around to get out or else you're kind of like rolling backwards on a door that folds in. It's not a great time. No, it's not. Similarly, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now about making sure that sinks are actually inaccessible stalls Mm. because your options, even in a stall that you can turn around in, are getting your dirty hands all over your wheels as you roll out or your cane or your walker or if you are ambulatory to some degree walking out of the stall to wash your hands um mm. but there's a very high chance of harassment if someone sees you using a mobility aid
2: mm. and then
1: not using it at another point because of the idea that you're quote-unquote faking it right
0: right yeah people tend to like informally please other mm-hmm. people if they see things that are not consistent in mm-hmm. what they believe they should be seeing, oh, absolutely, and, and you find that in gender discrimination as mm-hmm. well, and similar to what you're talking about to the science lab and mm-hmm. how chemistry, that introductory course that that you know physical difference mm-hmm. will serve as a. a
1: Reason for attrition mm-hmm. for female scientists, yeah, and as if we don't have enough problems, mm-hmm. right? Exactly, yeah. And it's also one of the things where you really start to hear people talking about invisible disabilities. Mm-hmm. So one of the extraordinarily valid and worthwhile reasons that someone would use a accessible stall is if they had a colostomy bag,
2: mm.
1: which is common if you have an intestinal disorder, right. uh, which is just designed to sort of like help you digest. You often need to empty the colostomy bags, and mm-hmm. that's much easier to do in a s- larger space.
2: Right.
1: But someone is going to see you, perfectly average, normal looking Joe, walk <laughs> into the stall, walk out of the stall, and they're going to say, You can't use the disabled stall. Those are for disabled people who we all know are only grannies in wheelchairs. <laughs> uh, I have a friend who has a serious heart condition, mm-hmm. uh, so they can't get hot. Mm. So, they have an accessible placard on their car mm-hmm. so that they can park near a store
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that they don't pass out on the ground walking from their car to the store. Right. But because they otherwise look like a perfectly normal, happy young person, everyone assumes that they have stolen their grandmother's placard. <laughs> and they have been harassed, they have received notes, they have been filmed against their will. Wow. Uh, it's a problem.
2: Right.
1: Education always helps. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, yes. and it's ironic mm-hmm. when you're talking about that policing yeah. aspect is that it's usually good intention people who want to protect those spaces mm-hmm. for people that they believe are truly disabled, yet in a way it's it's sort of like colorism for yeah. people of color, mm-hmm. right? It's it's self discrimination mm-hmm. because there is this stereotype of mm-hmm. who can be yeah. disabled. So I really enjoy this talk. At the same time, poetry. we should talk about yeah. poetry. And I mean, I think, I think your poem really illustrates some of these points as well. So mm-hmm. if you don't mind reading it for us and we can yeah, talk absolutely.
2: about,
1: again, the disability activism in terms mm-hmm. of that poetry as well. Absolutely. Uh, so here is the poem, Daily Rituals. We started purifying ourselves with salt, my friends and I. Nightly, I follow the rituals to make all my orifices worthy. I let the microwave chant softly, take my holy water and lift my head to the heavens, gargle, rinse, repeat. Nasal flush waterfall next, saline for the contacts, salt scrub for the lips. On days I try hard to be holy, I cast epsom salts into the bath, steam like incense and stir the waters at Bethesda, hoping to let the scales fall from my skin. My best friend wears black Baphomet t-shirts, and she carries around salt pills in her pockets. She sways on her feet as we chat like things possessed in coffee shops. It is the little rituals that matter most.
0: It's such a wonderful poem. It just encapsulates so much. Mm -hmm. I can't say I understand all of it, just because some of these,
1: you know, you know something's going Mm -hmm. on, so... Please, enlighten us. So there's an idea that you hear a lot of in disabled spaces called access intimacy. Mm. The best way I can explain it is that once my fiancé and I went to a trip to New York, he knows I like gardens, he knows I like modern art, we were putting together our ship plan, and he goes, oh, um, there's something I really think that you're going to like, but before I tell you about it, I want to check that it's accessible Mm. because your knee might be bad after that long car ride. And he goes through, and he looks, and he's like, okay, yes, I'd love to take you on the high-rise. It's these converted train tracks, and it does have elevators. But the first thing he thought about was, I want to share something with the person I love. Mm -hmm. How do I make sure that they can go there, and how do I be mindful of what they can do?
2: Yeah, well, the good
1: thing mm -hmm. about the High Line is that it is a new structure mm-hmm. even though it's built on
0: top of old uh mm-hmm. of the old railroad tracks railroad tracks yeah. but they're specific railroad tracks for mm-hmm. some goods not like not like the ones we think of in a rural setting yeah no i think
1: that they were like old freight rail tracks and they had yeah. to list them off the street because like too many people were getting hit by trains which so is like, a little morbid but yeah and yeah. also they
0: were delivering goods to certain buildings so yeah because it was listed. over by
1: that harbor yeah, yeah. Did you end up seeing it? I did. It was really beautiful. We had a great day, and I did wind up having to use my cane a lot. So it was really great to be able to have that and to have that option. But there's like a really certain kind of way you can present love Mm -hmm. by not just being mindful of someone, Mm -hmm. but being mindful of how someone experiences the world. Uh, And so this poem is actually in a lot of ways about that. Uh, And especially about the ways that I can relate to the people around me. And also a little bit about the idea that like when you are disabled, there are so many things that you have to do to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Like self-care means very different things in the disabled community because it's sort of the constant monitoring Mm -hmm. Uh, and I actually know a lot of my especially queer and especially disabled friends Mm -hmm. get into witchcraft for that reason Mm -hmm. so like I have to spend so much time doing so much thinking so much moving with this kind of intention Mm -hmm. that it's nice and important to me to be able to have that ritual aspect in that as well Mm -hmm. and so this was just a case where I had noticed some of that intimacy with my friends, with the ways that we figured out how to get together. The friends that I mentioned in this poem tried four times to go to that coffee shop, mm-hmm. and both times both of us forgot. So we couldn't even be <laughs> angry because we texted the next day like, oh right, we were supposed to do that. And I was like, sorry, I was asleep. And she was like, yeah, sorry, I was asleep too. <laughs> I
0: just did that to one of my friends. I was supposed to have mm-hmm. uh, dinner with her on New Year's Eve, but then found out the restaurant was closed, and then New Year's Day, but got totally swapped and just (laughs) completely
1: forgot. Mm -hmm. And there's just, like, something really special about those kinds of interactions. And this was just a case where I was sitting there doing all of these things where I was like, all right, I've got to take care of the tonsils, take care of the ti- the sinuses, take care of the skin, and just, just thinking about both all of the ways that salt has often been represented right. in traditional folk magics or even modern witchcraft, right, right. Uh, and in the same ways that I have all of these little rituals with the people that I love and in ways to, to take care of myself in them. Yeah. So. so I have some specific questions mm-hmm. about these things.
0: Nightly, I followed the ritual to make all my orifices <laughs> worthy. You knew I was going to ask that. Come
1: on. <laughs> yeah, like I said, you've got to do the gargle. You've got to do the salt rinse. You've mm. got to rinse out your eyes. I'd often take, um to help loosen up psoriasis plaques, magnesium oh, salts. Okay, okay. Uh, they're both very good if you have, like, joint aches, which I do, mm. uh, and... They also help your skin absorb water so that they help psoriasis plaques get a little bit less aggressive.
2: Uh So when I
1: wanted to like really take a moment to sort of soak and feel better about myself it was bath salts, bath oils, oatmeal soaks, all of those sort of things to just like make sure that I wasn't killing my skin while I was doing it. Right, right, right. Um, But it's hard not to feel like, you know, you're taking the salt and you're blessing the throat, you're taking the salt and you're blessing the eyes. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know,
1: and especially when you have to do it every night in the same order, at the same time, in the same ways. Right. Um, It just sort of, Feels like both the the ritual, like what you have to do to get, but be- like get to bed, and mm-hmm. ritual, something that becomes imbued with importance. Yeah, yeah,
0: and and in a way, you might as well, right? Yeah, so absolutely. You might as well.
1: If I can't take this moment to be like, I am seeing the parts of my body I'm usually frustrated with, mm-hmm. and taking a moment to both care for them and care about myself. Right. Right. It's very easy to be angry about your body when your body feels like the thing that's constantly getting in your way. Mm -hmm. But the trick is that you are your body. Yes. Society likes to make that separation, and it's really hard to remember that if you're angry at your body, you're angry at yourself. Yeah
0: it's really funny because a lot of our society is based on how we can change our body mm-hmm. that's not necessarily good for us yeah so like dieting mm-hmm. starvation dieting mm-hmm. actually or or you know dieting that shocks the body
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and more often than not it's women again being yes, forced absolutely. into that but also men especially
1: athletes mm-hmm. yeah so And it's because society places a value on what you can do, Mm -hmm. and often labor, and therefore that value is tied into your body. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because we base interactions on what we can see of each other, even just in the very natural way that that is how you have to relate to people to start with. You are a body relating to other bodies. but then you get the aspects of if you need to have control over your social status, your social places, and all of those burdens are placed on people who don't have that control to start with. If you have the power to say, no, I'm and in a suit, but that's fine, then you don't get the same kind of marginalization through your body.
0: Yeah, it's sort of in a way to socialize us to feel bad about ourselves Mm -hmm. so that we are more available to be controlled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Um, I forgot. forgot. (laughs) Ah. I'm
1: gonna (laughs) take (laughs) a nap. But that would be a way of caring for your body,
2: acknowledging that that
1: you've got physical situations happening that are affecting the way that you both relate to your mind, that you're relating to me, and that you are relating to this instance, Mm -hmm. and that there are ways that you can be in dialogue with your body to help improve that.
0: Yeah, it really is. And I think, as you said, society doesn't really allow us to do that. And American mm-hmm. society, puritanical societies, mm-hmm. especially this idea of especially over the last 10 years, maybe 15 years mm-hmm. since 2008 happened, um, well, I guess that's 11 years, 12 years. 12 years. Good Lord. Okay. Come on. <laughs> um, so, well, I'll finish that thought, then I'll go mm-hmm. back to the question, if I can remember it. Which is that now, with a gig economy, all of mm-hmm. these things are a ways in which we have to work so much harder in order to get to the same point yes. that we got, mm-hmm. like, 12 years ago. Yeah. My other question I forgot before was that, ironically, in terms of this relating with mm-hmm. the body and how work is placed, again, value, mm-hmm. monetary value is yes. placed on work at the same time we pay much less to people who are working with their bodies
1: yes absolutely no bodies bodies are a way to exploit like bodies bodies are a resource to exploit um and part of the marginalization of disabled people comes from the feeling that they can't be as productive or do as much,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: but you are absolutely right that physical labor is extraordinarily undervalued mm-hmm. and historically has been owned. Yeah, like that was the ownership of bodies is a very long and dark history, yes. and it's something that we haven't gotten away from.
0: Yeah, and we we somehow think of those people as if their minds are not as valuable. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily because they have demonstrated that, but because we haven't given them the social, economic, like, structures, Mm -hmm. you know, education, all these structures necessary to develop Mm -hmm. the same skills as people who are in more privileged classes. Mm -hmm. And And even then,
1: even in those cases, people are still devalued even beyond that. Even if you do have all of the education, if you Mm -hmm. went to Harvard as a black man... You're still going to be valued less because of that body. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly.
0: And and ironically, yeah. To Julian Delacruz, you know, mm-hmm. we were talking about skin color, and ironically, you know, that color of skin was developed. It's the human capacity mm-hmm. to adjust yeah. our bodies in order for us to live better. Yeah. and and that is seen
2: yeah absolutely.
0: A, as a negative which is insane mm. because you know especially if you live in Arizona it's <laughs> really good to have that darker skin yeah
1: <laughs> so it, it just no it's these systems of marginalization a lot of times and it's Speaking as a white person, especially white people, try to separate it out. This is disability activism, this is race activism, this is gender activism, and that's never been possible. Mm -hmm. Disabled women are treated differently and historically have been treated differently. Mm -hmm. Disabled women of color especially have been treated differently. So, American Sign Language, ASL.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of people don't realize that there's actually a black American Sign Language mm-hmm. and that it is a totally different language because ASL was developed when segregation was still in effect. Wow. ASL wasn't being taught to black deaf communities. Mm-hmm. And even now, even as we're seeing a rise in ASL interpre- like interpreters, mm-hmm. those are ASL interpreters.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so there is an entire separate, marginalized, capital D, deaf community with its own particular struggles and its struggles with visibility because they are using a different sign system.
0: Wow. I, knew, I thought there were two official ones, ASL and something else, but not. I never mm-hmm. heard about the black ASL.
1: It, it might be BSL, um, but actually every country... Mm-hmm. Well, most every country, um, I can't speak as broadly, has mm-hmm. a different sign language. ASL is American. It's not universal. Of course. Yeah. Like the metric,
0: mm-hmm. the, what's the name of our system? Uh, the, empirical.
1: Mean, the empirical. The mm-hmm. empirical, yes, yes. But even Despite I think that I, I might just be spouting nonsense here, but I think even like Britain and France have a different sign system. It could be. Yeah. It could be. It wouldn't surprise
0: me. It's ironic because, you know, Britain, they're they're mm-hmm. using metric systems <laughs> as well. I mean, they're still using stones, which I had to look up. The what the heck? For God's sakes. <laughs> but, but the point is, it's ironic, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. we tout this America Revolution, how we became independent, yet we're so, mm-hmm. like, clawing onto the past, yeah, this I mean- empirical system.
2: Why? <laughs>
1: Why don't you want to divide things by 10? It's, hey, I can't speak too much. We use the metric system in the lab. We do divide things by yeah, 10.
0: exactly. It's just like, it's so much easier. I don't understand. I, I just like, uh, Anyway. <laughs> Let me stop wearing it. Let me stop making weird
1: noises because
0: that's how I feel, though. So um, also I also have this question. When you read it, I was mm-hmm. noticing... When you were talking about, on the days I try hard, the holy Epsom salts you talked mm-hmm. about, but then you compared it like incense and stirred the waters
1: at Bethesda. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I mean, you
0: are from yeah. D.C. or is,
1: is that? <laughs> so that it's actually the other Bethesda, uh, yeah. which is funny for me because I was actually seen at Walter Reed Hospital in Bethesda for a while. <laughs> But no, in the Bible, the angel Raphael, uh, mm-hmm. there was a supposedly a holy spring that whenever it would start bubbling, the first person in the waters uh, would be healed. And the angel oh. Raphael was the one who was supposed to be stirring the waters. Oh, so like literally okay. taking a stick and causing it to bubble. Right, right. So right. it was uh, stirring the waters at Bethesda, sort of referencing both that holy place uh, and a place that was supposed to be a site of a lot of healings. Right, right.
0: Yeah, and and you have and mentioned Yeah, my personal healings too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I first read this I don't think I knew you were from the mm-hmm. DC area. Mm-hmm. But now I know and, and I'm still like, Bethesda. I never <laughs> I'm I'm mm-hmm. familiar with some more famous, more well known like, yeah. Bible references. I was gonna
1: say it's it's one of the deep cuts, but I also struggled a lot and still sometimes struggle a lot with the way that healings are presented in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to, you know, be someone uh, who's a Christian and also see like, ah, yes, the way that God shows that he can do miracles is by making people not limp. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Again, it's this reinforcement Mm -hmm. of disability as some kind of uh, devil's work.
1: actually. Yes, absolutely. Um, And it was, and I actually write quite a bit about that, too. I struggled a lot with OCD, and especially when I was younger. The framework I had for it was, oh, these are temptations in my head. That's the reason I keep replaying these moments. Uh, That was the language I had for intrusive thoughts when I was little.
0: But that Um, must been so hard to deal with having that framework in your mind. Well,
1: on the one hand, it sounds really bad and was certainly, like it's it's definitely something I think about now to be like, ah, yes, when I was young, I believe the literal Satan was coming in and tempting me with terrible thoughts. But Mm -hmm. at the same point, That meant that the framework I had to work with when I was younger was these are thoughts that are coming from outside of yourself, Mm -hmm. which are designed to be intentionally disruptive, Mm -hmm. and they are designed to make you linger and think on them, Mm -hmm. which is not a bad definition for an unwanted intrusive thought. Mm -hmm. Would it have been better if I had known that? Yes. A hundred (laughs) times yes. Um, But it definitely does give me some perspective Mm -hmm. Um, like I've also had issues OCD and Tourette's Mm -hmm. uh, really start to blur at the middle Mm -hmm. and so a lot of my compulsions now are actually closer to ticks so I'll very suddenly make little motions Mm -hmm. or sort of jerk my head or sometimes make sounds Mm -hmm. and it's very understandable to see there's kind of an in, like an interesting way to walk back historically and be like, ah, people have always been feeling the way that I've been feeling, mm-hmm. and this is how people have interpreted that. Right, right, right. Um, Which is,
0: you know, so sad when you think about it because mm-hmm. all of these times that people were persecuted for yeah, absolutely this and that, that's not seen as normal like mm-hmm. using this invented yeah, okay, depending on who's listening mm-hmm. to it entity to yeah. say that oh you're with this horrible mm-hmm. entity.
1: Yeah, but by the same token, it was often viewed a little bit differently. One of the healings that I really like to go back on was that there was a serving girl who was supposed to be filled with demons who were causing her to prophesy, I think this is in Acts, and she was following around Paul the Apostle and mm-hmm. like proclaiming his goodness and the glory of God, mm-hmm. and the only reason he cast out her demon was because she was getting annoying that's canonically in the Bible, that otherwise he was happy to just sort of let that stay there and let her be her, but she wouldn't stop following him around.
0: Okay, well, she was praising him. I mean, like... I mean, yeah,
1: but, you know. Yeah, I mean,
0: the, the stocking is not nice, yeah. you know, whether it is today or, mm-hmm. or
1: back in the day. So, like I said, there's... There's always room. There's a lot of really great disability theology out there. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I like to fall back on was the fact that, you know, when you're believing in Jesus, Mm -hmm. you also believe that Jesus was resurrected. Mm -hmm. And we have proof that he was resurrected as a, quote-unquote, broken body. He still had the wound in his side. He still had the holes in his hands. Mm -hmm. Like, here is God, holy and incarnate, the perfect Lord. He has come back from the dead and he didn't even bother to, like, you know, patch himself up. Right, right, right. That the image that we have of God at his most holy is also a God who is injured.
0: Right. But that's also mm-hmm. not a mainstream iconography mm-hmm. either, so we don't know that. The, the well,
1: it is a little bit, because that was the whole thing with doubting Thomas. Uh, and there is actually iconography of that, of, like, Thomas putting his hand in the hole of, in Jesus' side
0: but that's something it's not how
1: it's presented in society though yeah Yeah.
0: that's what i'm saying for people who Mm -hmm. are not christians and Mm -hmm. it's you know that's not a story that's well known yeah so the god that you see now Mm -hmm. tends to be Mm -hmm. very pretty
1: oh absolutely and of course i've also been stopped and have had friends stopped uh for people to come and pray over us (laughs) which you're sitting there and you're like surely surely not but yes people will come and be like hello i see you are using a cane and are otherwise minding your own business obviously you need to believe in god more so that god will come down and heal your leg and i'm like you know that'd be great but last i heard from god this was the leg i was born with and it's the leg i'm gonna die with (laughs) and i'm gonna trust his judgment on that one
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know yeah. it's it's always interesting when people, well-meaning in their mm-hmm. own way, but at the same time, there is a, some
1: like heavy ego energy there for them to there be is saying that a huge problem with people stealing people's wheelchairs that people will be just rolling down the street minding their own business and strangers will come up behind them grab the handles of their wheelchair and start like start pushing them. Oh, because you must need help. Yes, absolutely. Minding their own business, no issues. Like, there's also a point where it becomes hard to give people credit for meaning well when they haven't thought about their well meaning. Like, that's just called kidnapping, (laughs) okay? (laughs) They have no control over where they're going, how they're going to get there. They don't know you. Uh, A lot of people break hands that way because their hands are in the wheels when they're suddenly grabbed and jerked. Um, but people will go, what? What? I'm just trying to help. So definitely part of a, why I like to write and why I like to talk about this mm-hmm. is because the more stories people hear and the more people hear about this, the more that they'll start to be able to see that access intimacy too. The more they'll start to know what to do with their friends, what to do with people on the street, yeah. how to manage that. Usually the answer is to mind your own business. Yeah. But or at
0: least ask.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like... Just because someone is physically disabled doesn't mm-hmm. mean they have no agency mm-hmm. or that they are just readily giving up their agency, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you said that I was thinking that lying, you know, the road to hell is pay good intentions. <laughs> so I, I always think of these when people who are doing what they call God's work a good work mm-hmm. because they want to feel good about themselves. Yeah. It's more they're doing it for their own feeling good mm-hmm. rather than the benefit of somebody else
1: and like i said it is hard when the stories that you get all frame people in a certain light i don't know if you remember a couple of years ago a movie came out called me before you i didn't see it I yeah knew that
0: with what's her the, name the dragon lady yeah
1: the the plot of the movie is a wealthy man is disabled finds the love of his life still decides he'd rather die and it's like, boy, I, I don't know. I'm out here. I don't want to die. I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> right. But, you know, when the stories you see are your life is hard, you are a tragedy, mm-hmm. uh, you need help, you can't do things for yourself, it can be so hard to break people out of those narratives.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, again, going back to how we view mm-hmm. able and disabled bodies and why one is considered the norm rather Mm -hmm. than both seen as the norm, as in they both happen. Yeah, Just that thinking alone can Mm -hmm. really change the way people treat each other. Mm -hmm. So I chose my poem, New Habits, because I actually wrote it. uh, Because I was like, I don't really have a poem to go with a poem. (laughs) So I was like, I'll just write something. Because it's something... I need to keep private for mm-hmm. reasons yeah. that you know about. Them. You need to keep
1: private for reasons that you're choosing to keep private. <laughs> <to> keep private, <laughs> private. exactly. Um, That's how it works, yeah. So
0: I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about this, but mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I, I, in a way, I'm being vague enough in yeah. this poem that I can talk about it. So I, I'm going to read it and we'll talk about mm-hmm. it. New Habits. A new routine has taken hold. I peer into dark corners and impossible crevices for old predators and their dogs. I once thought so gentle until realizing bloodhounds were appropriately named. So now I overcompensate for that underestimation. It sooth the new anxiety like an insulating salve, though itself sticky, attracting unwanted particulates, a price worthy of the annoyance? I have you th- to thank for the particulates because <laughs> of your lab
1: poem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a good word. I like words. I try to put, I put a lot of sciencey things mm-hmm. in my poems.
1: I do think it's interesting how one can sort of pair something between sort of like the comfort of how routines can be alongside the fact that sometimes routines are coming from a place of fear and anxiety, Mm -hmm. uh, that it's very easy to to sort of pair and mesh those two. Mm -hmm. It's easy to feel comforted by a routine that scares you. Mm -hmm. But I also think, and you can tell me if that also makes it harder to sort of lean into the routines with intentionality, I explored this mm-hmm. idea
0: with the therapist a little bit
1: yeah. <laughs> but I have such trust issues that I didn't even
0: let her know exactly <laughs> what I was doing yeah and I, and I obviously not do, doing that either in mm-hmm. this poem like you said it is out of fear and it does offer me some comfort in that having a routine yeah. is comforting in it's mm-hmm. in and of itself but as, it, as you said it's Um, It's worrisome for me because this is extra time I could be doing something else. And Mm -hmm. why am I so worried that without this routine, I can't, I don't feel like I'm protecting myself enough.
1: Yeah, I feel like a lot of the language, especially like with the corners and the crevices and like the under, and even like with the idea of like sticky particulates, that it's Mm -hmm. a very claustrophobic kind of poem. Yeah. Of like the way that those routines can also sort of trap you.
0: Yes. That they
1: themselves are sticky
0: yes exactly they really don't do much mm-hmm. and in a way is reinforcing of these anxiety mm-hmm. in that now that you've done your check uh you mm-hmm. feel better but then the next day you feel like they become a crutch yeah and so, in itself, it's very worrying and that is very sticky. It's yeah, a
1: situation. And that's also how things like um, compulsive behavior starts. Yeah, yeah. Which can be very tough to deal with the, oh, well, I just have to make sure that I lock the door. Yeah. Oh, did I lock the door? I'd better check that I locked the door because I always lock the door when I leave the house. Right. Oh, but now I don't remember what I saw when I checked. And right. that can be its own sort of claustrophobic spiral that's very easy even for neurotypical people to sort of find themselves in
0: yes Mm -hmm. yes and i i felt like you know when you were talking about how as we age we're more likely to find our bodies becoming less abled Mm -hmm. in different ways and i feel with trauma as well yes absolutely yeah and so it's it's really frustrating Mm -hmm. i haven't come to the point obviously where you are (laughs) in your poem where you're seeing it as almost Mm -hmm. like a holy experience in some ways yeah Right? I'm, I'm just like, mm, no.
1: <laughs> and I should be clear, that's taken me a very long time. I mm. was first diagnosed with sort of the thing that kicked it all off mm. uh, 12 years ago. Wow. No, 13 now. Years keep happening. <laughs> We're doing the same We're thing. We're doing the same thing. It's, time keeps happening, and there's nothing we can stop do to stop it. Stop time. it, <laughs> Stop it. And, and in fairness... Trauma is often and can be very disabling itself. Yeah, Like, that is fully both understood and recognized, especially when you're looking at mental health disabilities. Like, mm-hmm. that is very real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of the ways that we talk about society not valuing disabled experiences also holds true for trauma. Yeah,
0: it really mm-hmm. is, because people think it's something that you can get over yeah there are many
1: people who actually will tell you just get Get over over it it. because that way you can go back to being valuable and being productive and I don't have to think about how you're relating to your history and to your body's history
0: yeah and also the person who wants to say that is one who is in many ways someone Mm who is like I don't really want to take time to deal with your problems Mm -hmm. And it's, again, very
1: alienating because yeah. you are already feeling alienated. And in some ways, you've also got the people who are the same well-meaning of like, oh, well, if you just stop dwelling on it,
2: you yeah. know, of
1: the, the constant, there's a constant repetition when you're getting with those well-meaning people that they understand your experience better than you <laughs> and thus are in a place to give you advice. Uh, the shorthand we have it when especially dealing with chronic illness is the have you tried yoga folks? Right? Or the, oh, my aunt had that. But in cases of trauma, it's like, oh, you know, just talk to a therapist. That fix everything immediately after your first appointment. <laughs> right, uh, right. Just, just go see a therapist. There's certainly no barriers to doing that. No. Um, no. Just, they don't like, cost money at all. Yeah. Just try sleeping better. You know, maybe <laughs> if you like really sort of like build up a bedtime routine that would help you calm down. Uh, mm-hmm. What about lavender tea? Have you tried lavender tea? <laughs> <laughs>
0: you mean throwing it over my head? <laughs> I haven't tried that. So the I mechanism, that.
1: you toss it in their face <laughs> and then you run. Yes,
0: exactly. It's which mm-hmm. one, and I'm going to incorporate that into my routine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's. Uh,
1: yeah, hot teas
0: are troublesome. But yeah, it, it is very much that. It's that people just want to, even before this trauma happened, mm-hmm. I find that in entrepreneurial workshops yeah. as well. And it's usually, they're usually run by, again, mm-hmm. well-meaning people who has been in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. So they're not entrepreneurial. <laughs> Even if they run some kind yeah. of innovation division, mm-hmm. okay? I'm like,
1: not the same because you have brand recognition. <laughs> <laughs> I think ultimately a lot of what this comes down to is that the struggle of relating between people is finding a way to both express, accept, and understand differing experiences Yeah, with the knowledge that sometimes that's hard, that's undervalued, and for a lot of people viewed as not worthwhile, Uh, and that I really feel is true across a lot of cases of marginalization, in the same way that you get all of the well-meaning white people who are like, oh, I know about racism, that's when your boss calls you bad words, right? (laughs) If only. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's just—it's just a surface thing, and mm-hmm. there are people who do try to understand who who are what really well-meaning who actually do extend themselves by allotting enough time. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. itself, is such a rare yeah. thing to actually listen to mm-hmm. your story and be kind to just be there. But I find that even with friends, uh, a lot of the time it's sort of like. Well, I've had, by the way, a turnover mm-hmm. of friends period just because yeah. most friends are not equipped mm-hmm or prepared too. to deal with long-term issues such yeah. as mental Ill- illness or mm-hmm. mental illness caused by yeah. trauma mm-hmm. or disability because it's on a, such a long-term basis. It's, it's an investment
1: in some mm-hmm. way. It's
0: an end- Again, you, you are left feeling like,
1: okay, I what kind of friendship is this? cannot think of a single friend I have who isn't in some way chronically ill or mentally ill. Maybe a handful who are only just LGBT. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, absolutely, the people who have had enough of those experiences to either be able to share them without having to give that space mm-hmm. or who understand why people need that space and are willing to work with it. Yeah. It's, it's again that, that access intimacy, the things that you can offer other people and that they can offer you.
0: Yeah, which makes you pretty lucky for <laughs> having the guy that you have in your life. It you is. Out there. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely. The, the people in my life, and especially like my parents um, and my family, have been a huge blessing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they've all also had their own health struggles, which I don't want to say helps, mm-hmm. but helps in that sort of relation. Yeah, um, in,
0: tr- in understanding. Maybe. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And yeah. because I was diagnosed so young, uh, mm-hmm. it was also something that we sort of grew up with together. Right. Because I also, one of the most common times to develop an autoimmune condition is in your early 20s. So, I definitely know a lot of people who are like, "I'm going through this. My family doesn't understand why I'm tired all the time. I don't have the support networks I thought I did because mm-hmm. all my friends want to go out and party and I want to go to bed at nine o'clock. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah so it is it is hard to find and keep and build those people, mm-hmm. and I have to been like very careful to like treasure those relationships,
0: yeah, it's really hard to find, mm-hmm. and when you are kind of. Uh, I want to say accustomed, but raised to not think that's possible. Yeah, absolutely. You don't even know how to react to that when Mm -hmm. you do find it. And sometimes you accidentally piss them off and they go away.
1: Yeah, it's it's a learning process. It is. People don't talk about relationships as something you have to practice, but they absolutely are. Like, if, do you know how much better the world would be if we were all born as reasonable, polite creatures who understood boundaries and knew how to express our emotions and knew how to talk to people and all had healthy coping mechanisms? Like, no. Right. No. No.
0: no. Well.
1: Yeah. It does,
0: It'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does give us interesting experiences, but I rather it that away yeah
1: it's part of the human condition but it's not one of my favorites no yeah
0: it's it's not you know and there are also people who think yeah but you wouldn't end up like in this situation (laughs) if you didn't have that horrible experience i'm like i would love to (laughs) forego this thank you very much and there's so much rationalization involved just for Mm -hmm. people who
1: don't want to be dealing with yeah
0: it's other people's
1: problems simultaneously true that your history is what got you here and made you to the person that you were but it is also true that if other things had happened you would also have been in other circumstances that might have been better or might have been worse just like you don't know what your future is going to be like
0: exactly like hey just because you like this doesn't mean i like this (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it's it is frustrating but I feel like it's nice to be able to talk with somebody who understands mm-hmm. it through your experience of chronic mm-hmm. illness, through your friendships with people who are in this community mm-hmm. who understand that. I, well, <laughs> we can just be nicer to each other, certainly, definitely. On the happy note, <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen you once mm-hmm. in, in a reading. I, I know you're new here, so mm-hmm. I don't know if you develop a, a, a network of, events that you're going to yeah, or you're looking
1: into sort of Yeah, events. so this is actually the first time I've been in a place that has a literary community. What? Um, yeah, so my alma mater was William and Mary in Williamsburg, uh-huh. Virginia, which is a wonderful school. It did very well by me. There were obviously enough problems that I was able to be an activist there. Mm-hmm. But it's a place that I really believe in. But by the same token, I was not willing to drive the hour to Richmond very frequently, where there was a thriving literary scene, nor the hour to Norfolk, um, in part because of the, like, I needed to be home, in bed, see chronic illness, mental illness, graduate student things. Yes, right. And so when I started publishing, it was not that, oh, I have been around poets, I know what I'm doing, it was very much the well, I want to do this before I graduate to prove that I can or can't do it. So I just sort of waltzed in blindly, uh, Mm -hmm. and this continues to be how I've managed this so far. (laughs) Uh, Which is to say that I'm very frequently at the um, Queer Poetry Nights that Equality Arizona has Mm -hmm. been hosting. That's actually where we met. I'm certainly interested and open to lots of opportunities, Mm -hmm. and I hope that I have exciting things to announce in the future. Um, I'm still publishing. There are a lot of pieces that I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I can go ahead and, like, sort of uh, promo some journals, there's actually still a very, uh, like, vibrant scene uh, for disability poetry on online journals. Great. So both Breath and Shadow uh, Uh is one journal, and Word Gathering are both long-running Uh, And in fact, actually, we're around for the disability poetics movement Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. online journals. There's also Kaleidoscope, which tends to look at things a little bit more through a medical model. Mm -hmm. uh, As well as one of my favorites, it's a new literary magazine. It's called Monstering Mag, Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: it's particularly focused towards disabled women uh, and disabled trans or non-binary people. So those are some really lovely publications. That's great. Um, Thank I you. I said I'm looking at putting together some books and some chat books, so right, right, right. yeah, keep your keep your eyes peeled, I guess, folks. Yeah,
0: please. And the other thing I usually ask is, mm-hmm. how do people follow you on social media?
1: I'm intending to put together an author's website and to get back onto Twitter. I just got very overwhelmed trying to sort of run that presence mm-hmm. and also decide how I wanted to run that presence. Mm-hmm. At the time that I started publishing, I wasn't really thinking about this, and so I was Mm -hmm. publishing under my given name, Mm -hmm. but forgot about things like the fact that I'm engaged and have to decide what I want to do about my name, Mm -hmm. and things like I am in a field which, while there are many artists... I don't necessarily want my boss Googling me to see what scientific publishings I've been in and then, you know, see me in the Horny Poetry Review. <laughs> tell us, just go on
0: a tangent and tell us about the Horny Poetry Review. The
1: Horny Poetry Review is an online-only journal which is designed for poems that have become accidentally too horny. It's one of my favorite publications. <laughs> it is really doing God's work. I have a submission out there right now, so another thing you can keep your eyes peeled for. Very nice,
0: very um, nice. You know, you could just tell your boss you were doing scientific research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not enough research in there,
1: so. <laughs> you know, the problem is that it's mostly in psychology, not in chemistry. It's a little bit hard to be like, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just branching out. But um, it is chemistry, it is absolutely involved, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Yeah, but you have to like do a lot of paperwork for that. There's like the human subject (laughs) test forms with a lot of bureaucracy. I think it's really important to move into things, especially things that are viewed as sort of like either permanent or a legacy or part of how you're choosing to present yourself Mm -hmm. with a lot of intentionality. And I realized that when I started setting up my author's kinds of things like my Twitter was originally just for making dumb jokes about my research Mm -hmm. and then I occasionally started posting about my poetry Mm -hmm. and then I started posting a lot about my poetry and then it was like oh no (laughs) I I need to make sure that this is actually how I want to be engaging with this community and Mm -hmm. also I need to know what this community is because again at the time I was just like yeah you know I'll send it to my local lit mag I went on Poets and Writers and I legitimately just scrolled and picked some journals at random I have come a long way since then. (laughs) So in short, um, I'm hoping to sort of get back involved in an online community, Mm -hmm. take some time to sort of build an author's website, but hopefully I'll be making it easier for you all soon. Yes, yes, especially me, please. Give me some links. (laughs) Thank you very much for coming on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really great conversation. It has been. Thank
0: you. Since this interview took place, AC, in fact, did get back online, so I will be providing their links in the episode notes. As always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. In addition to poetsandmuses.com and the SoundCloud page, you can now listen to the Poets and Muses podcast via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, as well as TuneIn. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. Have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.